0: God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Amazing words. Amazing words of confidence. Did you notice? I, we will not fear. Now, I've uh, asked a couple of guys to, to, uh, to help me out. Now, so I wonder if um, Jono and Jonathan want to come up the front here. So these psalms all about hope and confidence and trust. And uh, these guys here are going to help me uh, to think about trust and hope and confidence. So, Jonathan, uh, do you want to step forward? Could you um, close your eyes and put your hands over your chest like that? And uh, put, your, put your feet close together. Great, and I want you to be tense, stiff. Imagine you've got a plank of wood going right down to your heels and keep as sturdy as you can. And uh, just hold it there for a moment and Jonah. What I want you to do is put your hands on his shoulders. And in a moment, I'm going to ask Jonathan to just fall back and keep his feet exactly where they are. And he's basically going to trust that you can take his weight and you're not going to step out of the way and let him fall onto the floor. Don't step out of the way. <laughs> so, when you're ready, just start to fall back and, and let's see what happens. Great, very good, very good, very good. Okay, now this time, Giorno's got his hands on your shoulders right from the start. This time, I'm going to ask Giorno to not have his hands there. So when you're ready, you're going to fall back and Giorno is going to catch you. Great. Very good, very good. Give them a round of applause. (laughs) Thanks, guys. That's actually a very, very difficult thing to do. Jonathan had to trust two things about Jono. First of all, that he was strong enough to, to hold him when he fell back. But also, that he was good enough to do that. That he wasn't going to just step out the way and let him fall on the floor. Now, I guess I mean, when we look at this psalm, one of the things that jumps out at you from Psalm 46 is that is that confidence that, that just exudes all, all the way through it. Is this psalmist deluded? Is he just living in a bubble and out of touch with reality? Well, I want to suggest that actually he's not the one out of touch with reality. Sometimes... We're the ones that are out of touch with the ultimate reality. Sometimes circumstances can become all too big in our perspective, in our in our thinking. And God can become all too small and insignificant. So this morning, what I want us to do as we look at these three psalms, we won't have time to look at any of them, particularly in... In, in any great depth. But I want us to, to, do, to look at um, three things. I want us to think about the organics of hope. I want us to, th- to think about from Psalm 46, what's the root of hope? From Psalm 47, what's the fruit of hope? And from Psalm 48, what's the catalyst for our hope? So first of all then, the root of hope so what's the root of hope well the question should be who is the root of our hope and it's the Lord isn't it verse 1 God is our refuge and strength verse 5 the city doesn't fall because God is within her verse 7 the Lord almighty is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress so notice, it's, it's God himself that is our refuge and strength. Not the city, not the army, not wealth, not wisdom, not circumstances. The psalmist just has complete dependence and confidence in the Lord. Whatever the circumstances, just look at verse 2 and 3. Incredible imagery that he evokes here. It's pretty intense, isn't it? That the mountains, even if the mountains were to fall into the heart of the sea, this kind of catastrophic meltdown and destruction that's, that's pictured here. Even if the mountains, the, the very foundations of the earth, the epitome of solid dependability, even if they were to fall into the heart of the sea, the sea, the epitome of danger and chaos even in the midst of that total, complete carnage and chaos the confident assertion in this psalm is we will not fear because God is our refuge, he's our mighty fortress that's essentially the the message of of this psalm isn't it, he is king He's king over Jew and Gentile alike. And we'll see that as we go through these these psalms. He is in ultimate control. He is our mighty fortress. But it's verse 10 of this psalm that I want to focus on. uh, In particular, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Actually, that's not a kind of fluffy, sentimental verse that should be put on a poster with a kitten as so often happens in churches up and down the land this is a command and literally the command is be limp-wristed be flaccid be weak do, do nothing don't even bother that, that's essentially what the Lord is saying it, it, it's, it's a command both to his enemies and to his people at the same time. To, to God's enemies, to those who would rise up against him, God says, Be still. Don't even bother. Be weak. Don't even bother picking up that spear and coming against me. Put the spear down. Reevaluate your life. Take up needlecraft instead. Don't even bother, is what the Lord says. You're not going to get anywhere. And to God's people, be still, <coughs> be flaccid, be limp be weak. Don't do anything. Don't even try to think that you can save yourselves. What he's saying is, depend 100% on me. So do you hear what, what he's saying about our hope? our hope rests entirely, 100% on him. Not on our circumstances, not on what we can or can't bring to the table, 100% we need to be still and know that the Lord is God. And the implications of this are, are massive. Now here in the UK... Relatively speaking, we've got it pretty easy. We're not oppressed by dictators. We're not ravaged by famine and disease. Sure, we've, we've got our problems. But unlike large parts of this world, we've got food to eat, we've got clothes on our back, roofs over our head, we've got freedom to meet like this, we've got a welfare state to fall back on, we've got democracy, we've got a police that service who can turn up on our doorstep within 10 minutes of calling three numbers. In some ways, it's pretty easy for us to gather together and to sing God's praise confidently on a Sunday morning, to bless his name as the sun is shining. But there's not one of us here today in this room whose lives could be shattered and turned upside down just by one phone call or by one knock at the door. (coughs) What then? Could we still say the words in this psalm as confidently as the psalmist then? Will we still not fear and say that God is our refuge and strength with full confidence? Because actually, if God Is not our refuge and strength, but comfort is, or our circumstances are, when we get that phone call and life turns upside down, what then? Well, we can be consumed by the raging waters that will come our way. So we need to, to heed the warning this morning, we need to search our hearts. And we need to to ask ourselves and see what we are really trusting in. Are we trusting the provider or are we trusting just in his provision, what he has provided already for us? It may be that, that some of us here today have had that phone call already. Well, may these words be a comfort to you Be still and know that I am God. He is with you. That's the overriding thing again that comes from this psalm. He is with you. The psalm makes no promise that life will be easy and pain free. but, But rather the opposite of that. But what God does promise is that he will be with you through the trouble and the suffering. The covenant faithful promise keeping God is is mighty to save. There is hope. You can depend and trust on him and ultimately he will deliver you. That may not be here on earth now, but for eternity he will deliver those who hope in him. And as we read this psalm, like, like many psalms, this psalm has, has an eternal dimension to it. In verse 4, it talks about a river in the city. Uh, Jerusalem didn't have a river. Unlike uh, many other ancient cities, Jerusalem had no river in it. This is, this is echoing for, uh, forward to, to another city, the new Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul describes our troubles here on earth as light and momentary compared to the eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In 2 Corinthians 4. And in Romans 8, he says, our suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. We thought about that last Sunday evening at the gathering. Now, Paul's not being glib or flippant there, He knew what it was to to suffer. He was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was tortured and ultimately martyred for his faith. But his hope was in God, not in his circumstances. God was his refuge and his strength, his ever-present help. He trusted that God was able to save him eternally and lived in the light Of that eternal truth. So that's the first thing. The the root of hope is to be still and to know that the Lord is God. Now, the fruit is to clap your hands and shout. Psalm 47 verse 1, clap your hands all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Here's the, here's the fruit of that hope when we're trusting wholly in God. Well then the fruit of that hope and that trust is joy, is thanksgiving, is worship. And it just bursts out all over this psalm and, and, and Psalm 48 as well. Again, we're reminded of how supreme our God is. How he reigns over the entire earth. That he's in ultimate control. And the response to that is, is joy and thanksgiving. And notice again that the praise and, and thanks is all directed to God. It's all for his glory. So throughout the Bible, I think it's fair to say that, that thankfulness and joy is, is often the, the acid test, if you like, of, of where we are in our spiritual growth. That, that thankfulness and joy is a signpost as to where our hope really is. Because if we're trusting in ourselves or anything that, that we've worked hard to achieve, well, where's the need to be thankful? We've done the hard work. But well, what's the point of being joyful to God about that? We've done it. And so the reverse of that is when we realise our need, when we're humbly dependent on God, when we are still and we know that the Lord is God. Or well, then that's when we just can't help but give our God, our praise and our thanks and joy just just flows out so in Philippians Paul again is in prison as he writes the book of Philippians but again and again he talks about joy, rejoice in the Lord he says again and again rejoice how is he able to, to do that in that circumstance well again his hope is in God's, not his circumstances. And that's what enabled him to be content in every circumstance and to, to give thanks to God and just be filled with joy, be characterised by joy, by, by joy. And so that's a question for us to be thinking about, both as a, as a, as a church family together and as individuals, to what extent are we characterised by joy? What extent does, does joy characterise your home life? To what extent does, does joy characterise our corporate life as a church together? It's an interesting one to, be, to, to think about and to, to pray into. And I chose that word fruit very deliberately. Because I want us to, to, to make sure that we see that, that joy is a fruit. It's not something that we can kind of manufacture artificially. An apple tree doesn't produce apples by just concentrating really hard and squeezing one out. When the conditions are right, apples just come. So if we do perceive a lack of joy amongst us, well maybe that's a sign that we're not getting the gospel. Maybe we're understanding it intellectually and on a confessional level that we can sing about it on a Sunday morning. But on a functional level, on a Monday morning at work and in our day-to-day lives, maybe we're not trusting it as we should. Maybe we're leaning too much on our good works of service and or our, our biblical knowledge or, 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 or whatever. Maybe we need to be praying for God's Spirit to work in our hard hearts, to be revealing our sinfulness and to be illuminating the Lord Jesus to us and give us a fresh glimpse of the wonder and majesty of the Gospel. So the root of hope is to be still and to know that the Lord is God. The the fruit of that hope is joy. And finally, the the catalyst of that hope in Psalm 48 is to consider and tell. So again, as I was was saying at the start, the historical context of this is, is that great story of of deliverance from uh, 2 Chronicles 20. And uh, the structure of this psalm is it's in two parts really. The first part looks at the, that deliverance and the second half is the response to God and, and to that deliverance. So verse 9 to 14 are. Uh, that's the, the setting of that is the aftermath of that great victory that's been won and the joy and the celebration and essentially what I want us to, to pick out from here is the need to, to remember what God has done to consider, to walk about to, 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 to remind ourselves of the great things that God has done in us and amongst us as, as a corporate family together. And actually, that's a, that's a great picture of what church should be all about. It's a great picture. When we meet together with other Christians, we should be helping one another to consider and to meditate on the truth about who God is, to remember what He's done, and to tell them to one another and to the world. That's what builds our hope as we do that, as we meditate on those truths, as we tell them to one another and to the world. And actually, so as a community, as if we're shaped by that, that will ring out to the world around us as well. So look at verse 9 of Psalm 47. The nobles of the nations assemble... As the people of God, of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Well, there's loads you could say in these psalms about tracing through those promises to Abraham and how God's de- just developing that, that promise to, to bless all nations. But we can't go into that. Time's running out. So, we're to consider and tell, we're to to meditate together as God's people on on the truth about who he is. And that's what communion is all about. And we're going to come to that in a a few moments in this service. But the battle that we remember, the decisive victory that, that God has won for us, was not against the kings of Amon and Moab, but was on the cross at Calvary. As God's Son, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus defeated the enemies of death and sin once and for all. So that we could have the hope of eternal glory. So how are we going to respond to Jesus? Well, it's those three things again, isn't it? Be still and know that I am God. The cross is the ultimate victory God has won. The ultimate demonstration of his character. It shows us both how seriously he takes our sin and on the other hand how much he loves us. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus says to us from the cross. Don't put your hope in anything or anyone else. Don't think there's anything you can contribute to his enemies from the cross. Jesus says, be still. It is finished. Don't even bother trying to resist. The victory is won. So, be still and know that I am God. And... Clap your hands and shout for joy. It's all about Him. Our salvation and forgiveness depends 100% on Him. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. And all we can do in response to that is to clap our hands and shout for joy. And then again, consider and tell and that's what we're going to do uh, now. We're gonna, Jesus gave us the ordinance of, of communion because he knew the importance of regularly taking time to recalibrate, to, to search our hearts and to remember the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us.